This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Hyperbaric Medical Solutions. If you suffer from a diabetic complication, radiation damage, stroke, or degenerative condition, hyperbaric oxygen therapy may be right for you. Call Hyperbaric Medical Solutions at 844-877-HBOT or visit hyperbaricmedicalsolutions.com forward slash Hoffman to learn more. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As a part of a series where we're discussing uh, innovative cancer therapies, we talked about uh, hyperbaric oxygen. Uh, we talked to Dr. Dominic D'Agostino about combining the ketogenic diet uh, with hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Uh, today, we're going to talk to uh, one of the, the leading thinkers uh, around these issues, Dr. Thomas Seafried. He's written a book entitled Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. Uh, which has been uh, very, very influential. Uh, he also was recently featured in the New York Times Magazine uh, in an article entitled uh, An Old Idea, Starve Cancer to Death. And uh, while it's not uh, quite as simple and straightforward as that, the basic idea is that uh, cancer loves sugar and a ketogenic diet, uh, along with some other tweaks, uh, can provide a um, a less toxic uh, alternative to our current uh, cancer strategies. So um, in part one, you, Dr. Seyfried, you laid the groundwork uh, for this concept, and then you, you talked about uh, how uh, you're refining your strategy to, to say, okay, the basic uh, premise is, yes, a ketogenic diet, uh, but then with certain uh, add-ons. Can you describe what some of these uh, add-ons might be? Yes. Um, well, this is the, the, the idea um, as I mentioned, the, pre- the press-pulse concept, uh, the press is, is the diet, and the pulse would be the add-ons. Um, and add-ons can include uh, other drugs uh, used in, in concentrations that are not toxic, but work synergistically to target further the availability of the two primary fermentable fuels that these tumor cells are using to divide and, and to, to, to survive and grow. And, and, of course, that's glucose and glutamine. Um, uh, you know, there we there have been a number of drugs like well, you even mentioned two fluorodeoxyglucose, 2-deoxyglucose. Mm-hmm. These are non-metabolizable analogs of glucose, and they can work synergistically. We published a paper showing that 2DG and the ketogenic diet can be synergistic uh, in shutting down uh, the pathway needed for um, uh, lactic acid fermentation. They, they sort the of compete. Issue, they compete with glucose because they structurally are similar to glucose, and then they kind of yes, uh, they, they they have the very very similar structure. They're taken up through the same transporter. Um, they just can't be metabolized. They go to two uh, deoxy six glucose phosphate, which is then gums up the system. That's so like, that putting a, it's like putting like putting a super glue in the in a lock or something to yeah, to block it. Yeah, it's just you can't. You know, it's like it's like putting um, water in the gasoline. You know, okay. the engine just shut, it shuts down uh, because you can't you can't you can't use the, uh, the, the, the the you can't use the fuel for it just gets stuck in the line you know it just doesn't mm-hmm. um, and, and it so it, sh- it starves it shuts down that those it shuts down two big pathways one is the 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 glycolytic pathway and the other is the pentose phosphate pathway the precursors of the pentose phosphate pathway build um, uh, uh, that pathway builds the precursors needed for for nucleotide. Uh, DNA and RNA synthesis. So you're taking away um, the build the ability to put the, to, for the building blocks to make uh, structure for the cell. The glutamine um, uh, provides both uh, energy, a source of energy, 
uh, and also nitrogen because you need the, the nucleic acids contain nitrogen. So you need those two fuels for all of the necessary lipids and uh, proteins and nucleic acids. So um, people are very, are very interested in targeting glutamine, and there's a number of reports, um, but a lot of these haven't worked. Um, that's not to say they won't work in the future. Some are considered too toxic at this point. Others are considered uh, ineffective. Um, but I, but there's been very little energy put into this area, very little attention. So it's not that we can't do it. Uh, we, we think we can with just a little bit more tweaking of the system. And again, with glutamine, we have to be very careful because um, so many of the, of the functions of our body, uh, glutamine plays such an important role in that. So it has to be mm -hmm. done very delicately and in the right strategy in order to uh, deprive them of that fuel, while at the same time shutting down the glucose pathways. So it has to be done together uh, with drugs and diet. And I think, in my view, I think this is going to be the solution to the problem. So describe the uh, ketogenic diet for those who are not uh, acquainted with it. What does it consist of, and how do you practically implement such a restrictive program? Well, you know, I, I got into this field a long time ago, and I've done a, a lot of work in the field of epilepsy, um, defining the, the mechanisms by which calorie restriction and ketogenic diets uh, could block epileptic seizures. And, and the ketogenic diet is just a general term, a general term, for a diet that has uh, a large amount of fat and it has low, very low carbohydrate with a, uh, a moderate uh, to low level of protein. It differs significantly from the Atkins diet in that it specifies what kind of fats should be there and has a much lower level of protein than does an Atkins diet. So an Atkins diet is not necessarily good for managing cancer mm -hmm. because the protein levels are too high and a lot of the fats are inflammatory provocative. So, um, you know, people just can't go out and just say, well, I'm going to eat a lot of fat and it's going to get the... No, 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 no. Yeah, the ketogenic uh, order diet, a bacon cheeseburger and throw away the bun. That's not uh, the answer necessarily. No, that's Atkins, that's Atkins diet. But that's mm -hmm. not going to stop your tumor because you still have too much uh, energy generated from the protein that you're taking in. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be very careful of the kinds of fats. You don't want these... Um, you don't you don't want these... Um, um, arachidonic acid, pro-inflammatory fatty acids in there. You want fats, short, medium-chain fats that are going to generate a lot of ketones naturally from the liver. So you don't want other kinds of... And you also have to be careful about omega-3 omega fatty acids. Uh, they can be used, but the concentrations have to be very carefully monitored. Hmm. A ketogenic diet is an extremely sophisticated medical tool that must be wielded uh, with, with, with respect. Otherwise, you could run into having um, a, a number of, of issues that could uh, make, uh, make it very difficult for the patient. Um, so compliance now becomes a major issue. Having an appropriately formulated ketogenic diet that will bring glucose levels down into what we call therapeutic low ranges and ketone levels naturally produced in the body to therapeutically high levels uh, while keeping the overall health and well-being of the patient on, on, a, on a high level. This is, this is challenging. And people, uh, physicians and, and nutritionists and dietitians need to know uh, how to do this. And, um, you know, there's a ketone kitchen produced at, at CHOP in, at UPenn. Uh, Christina Berkovic has trained many parents to use the a, a correct ketogenic diets for managing epilepsy in their children. And I think the same kind of strategy will eventually be needed to help um, uh, the oncology cancer patients uh, use these diets in the correct way. So this is an emerging field. 
that um, uh, where, where a lot of skill and, and prior experience needs to be part of the problem, part of the solution. And physicians and, and nurses, they, they need to all know uh, how, to, how to implement this and how to use it for each patient. So it, it's, not, it's not as simple as people might think. It's not just a you know cut the carbs and uh, you'll be fine. Uh, does this does the yeah. ketogenic diet you know because it's so restricted? Does it make use of certain medical foods like uh, medium chain triglycerides or, or coconut oil or things along those lines? Yes, I mean they're all part of it. Um, coconut oil and you also and and the MCT oils you can you can get those at at uh, at Whole Foods, but um, to make a, a product a food item. Uh, that would be part of a, of a menu. Um, one has to use a variety of different uh, foods that will always maintain the correct balance of fats, proteins, and carbohydrates mm-hmm. and allow that food to, to be utilized to produce ketones uh, from, uh, from our, own, our own body. And most, most of the uh, many, many cancer patients, I would say most, but many, um, can achieve, um, well, they, let's put it this way. They, they can achieve high enough ketosis, but not always low enough uh, glucose. And this is a very interesting thing, um, different from the epilepsy population, the, pa- the, the patients that have epilepsy. Um, they seem to get into these metabolic zones easier than do the cancer patients. And um, we're not really sure about that, but we've noticed um, stress management is an extremely important hmm. component. Well. There's, um, there's an anxiety uh, that exists for many people with cancer that doesn't exist for people with epilepsy uh, or some other kinds of conditions. And I think the knowledge of a person having having a disease that could potentially be life-threatening um, is, is, creates anxiety. And that anxiety leads to elevated blood glucose levels, and it becomes a little bit more difficult uh, to reduce the glucose levels. levels. So we think... Um, a, a stress management component uh, with the ketogen with an appropriately formulated ketogenic diet can can be very effective in targeting the glucose, getting the patients into the correct metabolic zone, so that when we add the drugs that will work synergistically, these drugs will will work uh, much more effectively at much lower doses than would be needed if those drugs were tried by themselves without the diet. So, the, so the whole thing here is to get a a, a really a really good therapeutic balance of the appropriate ratios of the different components of the ketogenic diet together with those drugs that work synergistically with this diet. And this may, may need to be tweaked up or down depending on the individual's own metabolism. So we need to know that. That's why one shoe does not fit oil. This is really personalized medicine. This is the real statement of what personalized medicine is. In other words, you're going to design a therapy based on food and drug that's going to be suited for your individual metabolism that's going to put you in these zones that we know can keep those tumor cells uh, in check. How do you uh, monitor the efficacy of the ketogenic diet? How do you know that the person is uh, achieving sufficient levels of uh, uh, ketone uh, formation? Uh, In the Atkins Center, they just sent patients home with uh, keto sticks. That's not very accurate. Now they have uh, blood meters. Uh, do you make use of those methods to see if people are really getting into the right metabolic zone? Yes. So, um, yeah, this is a very po- important point. Um, this is a very important question. And we, we developed the, the uh, we published a paper on the glucose ketone index calculator, 
Uh, we published this in Nutrition and Metabolism. And basically, uh, we, we built this um, calculator because we realized how, how stressed out and how difficult it was for the patients um, to glean data from blood glucose ketone uh, monitoring. They do that. We need the data from blood glucose ketone monitoring in a single meter. Um, uh, we were having patients record their daily blood glucose and daily ketones, blood ketones, not the urine sticks. They're, you're absolutely right. They, they, they're, not, they're not always indicative of the level of, of ketosis, which must be measured in the blood. Um, but the patients were having a lot of trouble uh, trying to convert milligrams per deciliter into millimolar and trying to do these calculations, and they were getting stressed out because sometimes their blood sugar was too high. And So we built... My students and I sat down and we figured this is what we're telling them in our original publications may be hard to do in practice. So we developed this calculator, and it works with a singular meter, like you said, a home testing kit. Uh, so there's a meter. There's a couple of them. You know, we use the Abbott Laboratory Precision Extra, um, but there's others out there um, that we've tested, and. Um, you can take the sticks and you can measure the blood sugar as as a, as someone with diabetes might do on a daily basis, and then and then with the same drop of blood, uh, you can you can put it on a ketone stick uh, and measure the ketones, and then the calculator will will you push the button you add the information in and you and you push the little um, uh, we put the numbers into the and you and you hit the button there and it gives you a glucose ketone index ratio. And we have, based on meta-analysis, prior analysis, and our own ongoing experiments, we, we found that uh, ratios of blood glucose to uh, blood ketones in the order of 1.0 or below. And when you go below, that means there's basically more ketones circulating in your bloodstream uh, than glucose on a millimolar level. Uh, this gives the patient a singular number. So they, they then are in charge of their own destiny with mm -hmm. respect to this metabolic therapy. So they would record that on a daily basis, maybe once or twice a day, and then they would share this with their uh, physician, either through the internet or by phone or however, where, however the communication system would be set up. And then they would know, and you could follow uh, the, 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 the daily um, shifts in blood glucose and ketones. And then you could follow, we followed some people for over two years on these, on these uh, systems. And you can see um, how 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 much time over this, uh, how how long over this period are they in the so-called metabolic zone of 1.0 and below? And from our experience, um, the patients usually do better when they're in the, as long as they can stay in these zones. Now, this was with the diet alone, without much add-ons. So we're, we're trying. So this gives the patient an opportunity to monitor for themselves, as it would a patient with diabetes, with diabetes, knowing whether they need insulin or whether they should have uh, uh, sugar or, or one of these things to balance their metabolism. So we can do a very similar strategy for the cancer patient. And, and this is the way we think we can um, uh, help people know uh, what they should eat, what they shouldn't eat, you know, because they ask, they ask us all the time, oh, can I eat this, can I eat that? And I said, what does it do to the, your index? Mm -hmm. what, yep. is, what does it do to your glucose ketone index? And then if it doesn't hurt it, then, then do that. If it does, then don't do that. That's a fascinating vision for how uh, cancer could ultimately become a disease that's managed very much in the way that uh, diabetes is managed with uh, monitoring, with uh, diet modification, certain medications uh, to keep you in the, in the correct zone. 
Very interesting. Uh, do cancer cells become resistant to this? Are there certain circumstances where you know cancer cells have uh, evaded every known uh, form of treatment uh, to date? Uh, whether it's immunological treatments, whether it's chemotherapy, whether it's radiation, they seem to mutate in ways uh, that enable them to survive uh, the onslaught of most uh, therapies. Is is this something that you're seeing? Uh, can emerge or is it a universal property of cancer cells that they're at least somewhat responsive to this this type of therapy? Yeah, well, um, the, the issue of resistance. So, um, because, you know, people have gone on the ketogenic diet and they said, oh, my cancer returned. And um, did you target the glutamine? No. All right, so if you block that one source of energy to the cells... Uh, and you don't block the other source of energy, then it looks as though the cancer cells are resistant. Um, as I said, it's been very, it hasn't been effective so far that we have been able to, or has been has been used uh, uh, to show that if you block both glucose and glutamine, uh, the cells can uh, um, survive. So we we have to say, okay, why why are the cells? Why do the cancer cells appear to be resistant? Uh, uh, to all of these different treatments, mainly because the availability of the fuels that drive their fermentation have not have not uh, been been adequately restricted. So, as I said, so many of these therapies that that have been used free up uh, glucose and glutamine in the micro environment, and then they say, "Oh, the cancer cells are so are, are so wily and tough and." and can maneuver out of all of these things and resist them. They're not resist. You're giving them the fuels they need to grow. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if they, if you don't, if they can't, how can they grow if the very metabolites needed for, for, for building the, 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 the cell can't be synthesized? There's no way this can happen. So, I mean, what are they going to do? Okay, so you say, well, maybe they'll get um, acetate or aspartate, or one of these other amino acids? And the answer is yes, the tumor cells can burn those and use them for energy, uh, use these fermentation pathways. The problem is those fuels are in such low levels in the mm-hmm. microenvironment. They're not likely to be sufficient to keep that, uh, that, uh, uh, that group of cells alive for very long. You'll use it up. It's like a limited resource. Mm-hmm. You just don't have a lot of it. What you have a lot of is glucose and glutamine, and none of the therapies that are being used today are sufficiently targeting those available fuels, making it appear that these tumor cells are resistant. You never targeted what they're really using to stay alive. Indeed. What it's, not, the, it's, not, it's not that complicated. <laughs> What's the additive effect of uh, hyperbaric oxygen? How does that uh, uh, become oh, yeah. an adjunctive therapy? Okay, well, we thought this this way. If you treat patients with radiation, uh, the tumor. The radiation generates reactive oxygen species that basically, you know, destroys the membranes and destroys the, the tumor cells. So, um, hyperbaric oxygen uh, will also generate reactive oxygen species in cells um, uh, that produce more reactive oxygen species. It will produce, like in cancer cells that have inefficient respiration, re- reactive oxygen species. These cells already produce a lot of reactive oxygen species, but they're not, they don't die because they use so much glucose and glutamine. The glucose and glutamine uh, support the antioxidant capacity of the cells, right? So the glucose and glutamine are making the tumor cells resistant to reactive oxygen species. So 
the question is, is if you, if you lower the availability of glucose and glutamine and now put them in an environment where we're le- elevating oxygen. It's, like, it's, more, uh, it's more stress. Like it, it, just, it stresses the cancer yeah, cells more. You're yeah. going you're to kill those tumor cells by the same mechanism that radiation kills them, but, but in a totally non-toxic way. So you won't be damaging collateral damage to normal cells, uh, and you'll be targeting specifically the tumor cells, and the normal cells don't experience this because they burn ketones. And the beta-hydroxybutyrate leads to a, um, a, a, an increase in the redox band of the CoQ couple, which produces fewer oxygen species in the mitochondria of the normal cells. So this is a, a really elegant way to uh, select the tumor cells for ROS destruction while protecting the normal cells. This is very elegant. This is a very, it's just that nobody knows about it. Nobody's doing it. It's just one of those things. So so what are the obstacles to acceptance of uh, this paradigm? Because it seems that uh, all the efforts of uh, cancer researchers, billions and billions, perhaps trillions of dollars are being uh, consecrated to looking at uh, other uh, avenues of cure. I was watching something on 60 Minutes the other night about uh, injecting polio vaccine into the brains of patients with glioblastoma. It's a very uh, risky proposition, very high tech, uh, very expensive, uh, but it's beginning to show some promise. Uh, no mention of diet, no mention of uh, hyperbaric oxygen. You know, a conspiracy theorist might suggest that uh, perhaps uh, some of these therapies might be less uh, lucrative for pharmaceutical companies because we're talking about old drugs and a diet therapy that people can't, frankly, patent or make that much money off of. Well, you know, this is uh, a, a point that needs to be... Everybody... It's not everybody. I think so many people say this. Um, and my view is, why should the pharmaceutical industry, with a very poor track record, be the deciders about what, what people should use to treat their cancer? Um, you know, one has to question... Uh, an institution uh, that has perpetuated a, an approach that has been less than successful. Now, they can argue, and there is legitimate, well, we've saved so many thousands and thousands of patients using these toxic therapies. And you, that's true. I'm not saying that none of this works. The question is, it, it, it puts these people now at a, at a risk for all kinds of other health maladies that they never had. Uh, depression is very significantly elevated. Gastrointestinal problems, cardiovascular problems are now uh, recognized at, at a much higher uh, degree in the so-called survivors of cancer who have taken these, these other, other, other therapies. Yes, do, uh, so, so are we to select only therapies that are financially lucrative to an industry with a poor track record or to hospitals that generate tremendous revenue from the very therapies that we're, that we're speaking about. So uh, this is an issue, uh, a very important issue that has to be, that has to be dealt with. Is, is, the, is the goal to provide sufficient revenue for the medical industry, or is the goal to effectively manage the disease without toxicity? And, and, and the other thing that stands in the way is if cancer is a genetic disease, then the kinds of therapies that are being used today to treat patients is in line with that concept. Now, if cancer is not a genetic disease and it's a mitochondrial metabolic disease, then it becomes clear why we have less, why we've had such a poor track record in trying to manage the disease. The very under, underpinnings, the very concept of what the disease is, it has been mis, uh, misinterpreted. 
Okay, so we have a lot of major issues that have to be that have to be evaluated. Now, one of the one of the strategies that I think could have potential is the uh, uh, global financing, the approach of global finance, financing as an alternative to fee-for-service. And this sprang out of the Obamacare uh, initiatives. And this is where hospitals are given a, a certain amount of money to manage the, 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 the patients in their, in their practices. And if the patients can remain out of the hospital and in, in a healthy state, the, the hospital will share in the revenue. Uh, as opposed to fee-for-service where the patients are coming in and each test is added mm-hmm. onto the bill. So, so the right, issue right now is we have a perverse medi- we have perverse incentives. We have incentives that uh, generate revenues, and you know, in spite of efforts to reform our healthcare system, it's still basically uh, revenue-centered. Right, right. So if we can, if we, if global financing and NPR did a very nice study about the differences between uh, global financing and fee-for-service. And uh, global financing could significantly reduce the costs associated with uh, with some of these treatments, and could potentially provide patients uh, with a much higher quality of life and extended survival. Now, the issue, of course, is that uh, people will, and often I hear, where are, if this is so great and wonderful, mm-hmm. uh, uh, this metabolic approach to cancer management, why why are there no clinical trials? Where are the clinical? Where is right. the evidence? Where is this? Where is that? And the answer is, well, who who usually funds these these clinical trials? The pharmaceutical companies. They're the ones that have the big bucks that can afford to do all that. Um, so we we have that issue. We have several issues. It's not it's not just the one issue. Okay. The the other issue is that the that the a lot of these trials are based on double-blind crossover. And this is a little bit more challenging when you're putting in med- diet therapies where people know what yeah. they're actually getting. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so It's, 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 hard, the, to dis- it's hard to disguise this diet with a placebo diet. Yeah, well, it, 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 we, you know, we did it for my colleagues in the epilepsy field, did it for, for epilepsy. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they would not believe that the ketogenic diet could be as good or better than the best pharmacy for managing uh, epileptic seizures. And uh, Freeman and Helen Cross from the UK, John Freeman from Johns Hopkins, and, and Eric Kossoff and Adam Hartman and a variety of others, Beth Zupek, Kenya, they all put together a double-blind crossover for children with epilepsy and proved that the ketogenic diet is superior to drugs but they still don't want to use it. It's just not yeah. revenue generating, despite the fact that you can show in a double-blind uh, crossover that it doesn't have have it does in fact have the therapeutic benefit that was touted. Now, of course, we're going to see the same thing in the cancer field. Even if this works uh, and is shown in in, in 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 trials that it can be powerful, effective, there's going to be tremendous resistance to using this. Um, so where where will it where will the break point come? And in my mind, it's going to come from the patients themselves. It's not going to come from the pharmaceutical industry, and it's not going to come from the top medical schools, which are vested in the gene theory of cancer. So it's going to come from the patients. It's going to come from the from the grassroots. It might take time. I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's going to happen because what we can't do is continue to do what we've been doing. It doesn't work. And apropos of that, uh, what is the Charlie Foundation, a foundation that you have some involvement with? Yeah, the Charlie Charlie Foundation was set up by Jim Abrams and his family uh, to help his son Charlie uh, uh, use the ketogenic diet. Uh, he was very impressed. His son almost died from the standards of care that were used at that time. And then he became so upset. And he brought his son, to John Hopkins, my former colleague, passed away, John Freeman, 
and the group at Johns Hopkins saved Charlie's life. And he became very uh, resistant to seizures. He's a mature young man. He's going on with his life. And Jim became so angry about no one knowing about this ketogenic diet therapy, he set up his own foundation called the Charlie Foundation in honor of his son, Charlie. And his, his, his goal was to uh, bring awareness in the medical community to how these ketogenic diets have powerful uh, medicinal effects and can be used as an alternative to toxic pharmacy for managing, uh, for managing epilepsy. And I think that was the spark that generated tremendous interest. And, you know, I worked in the early part of that whole uh, initiative uh, with that, but I was also working on cancer. And then we just simply uh, transitioned this whole thing over to the cancer field. In fact, we can explain better how ketogenic diets can manage cancer than we can explain or understand how ketogenic diets manage epileptic seizures. That's a, that's a, a field that's going to continue uh, with, with, a, with a, an attempt to understand that for, for decades. But the fact is that it works. It works really well if it's done well. And these children can do, uh, get back with their schoolwork and, and become a part of, uh, uh, of the society and the family again. Um, so they're not all zoned out by the heavy drug use. And I think we can do the same thing in the cancer field. It's just that the, the, the institutional, uh, uh, the institutional uh, systems that surround the cancer industry is so much more entrenched than they were around the, uh, the epilepsy field. Right. And the, so the Charlie Foundation, the website is charliefoundation.org, uh, C-H-A-R-L-I-E, foundation.org. And so what's today's Intelligent Medicine call to action? First, I'll call our audience's attention to the fact that uh, you can see Dr. Seifried. Uh, he will be speaking uh, at a complimentary event uh, upcoming on June 2nd, that's a Thursday, from 7 to 10 p.m. Uh, on Long Island in Nassau County at Hyperbaric Medical Solutions, that's 80 Crossways Park Drive in Woodbury, New York. And you can get information about that from a gentleman named Ramon Garcia at 516-584-9010. That's 516-584-9010. And they will be serving ketogenic snacks. Hopefully they will pass muster with you, Dr. Seyfried. Have you uh, already inspected the menu? Uh, does it uh, meet your no, standards? I, 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 I haven't. I haven't. Okay. Well, I haven't hopefully it'll, it'll conform to uh, what you believe okay. to be a... A true ketogenic diet. And so from your standpoint, what are some of the resources that uh, you can point patients to in addition to your uh, speaking engagement, which you hope some of our uh, listeners and perhaps uh, some oh. of our uh, medical uh, colleagues will attend? Um, well, I, I think, you know, uh, Travis Christofferson uh, put out a nice book called Tripping Over the Truth, The Metabolic Theory of Cancer. Uh, I think that book is um, much less expensive than, than my book, and it kind of covers the the historical emergence of this concept over the years. Um, I know that um, um, Ellen Davis has put out a book on, on ketogenic diets to help cancer patients. So is Patricia Daly in, uh, in Ireland. Uh, I think, th and there's also Matthew's Friends, um, which is kind of the parallel of Charlie Foundation uh, in, in the UK. Um, so, uh, you know, more and more information is coming out and more and more people are becoming interested uh, in this um, and discussing it with their with their um, uh, physicians and and uh, and caregivers. So so I think it's an emerging field. Um, we hope that it can move faster. I think there's you'll see more and more uh, YouTube videos on the web talking about ketogenic diets. There's a huge 
uh, area of ketogenic diet for weight loss, and that's another mm-hmm. uh, another area that people are interested in in the weight management field, in the type two diabetes field. It's moving into the um, Alzheimer's disease field, and the Charlie Foundation also has now opened up ketogenic diets for all kind of other diseases, um, in addition to epilepsy where they originally started, but they're into the cancer and the Alzheimer's and this kind of thing. So people can get an idea uh, more about uh, about how these medical uh, diet therapies, diet uh, used as food, uh, food as medicine, this kind of uh, kind of an approach. And I think this is going to be um, a very interesting development as, as uh, more and more evidence comes in supporting the concept. Well, I want to thank you very much for... Uh your generous uh, contribution of time and for your wonderful work. And uh, you are certainly a a bold and courageous uh, and ingenious pioneer. And hopefully, and already, uh, you're certainly creating waves in the the cancer uh, paradigm. And hopefully, uh, these ideas will will prevail and help us move closer towards uh, uh, less toxic ways of dealing with cancer. So thank you so much, Dr. Thomas Seaford, for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.